Hey, you're listening to Cut for Time, a podcast from Faith Church located on the north side of Indianapolis. My name is Claire Kingsley. Each week, I'll sit down with one of our preaching pastors to discuss their Sunday sermon. Cut for Time is a look behind the scenes of sermon preparation, and they'll share with us a few things that we didn't hear from the sermon on Sunday. Thanks for listening. All right, Joey, we've got a lot that we could potentially cover in Cut for Time this week. And yes. so let's jump Let's cover right all in. of it. This is going to be a three hour long Cut for Time. Hold your horses, everybody. Um, yes. Yeah. So let's add a twist to our first question here, which is usually just asking you to recap your sermon from Sunday. Can you take that um, recap and also apply the same question to recapping our entire sermon series of life in the spirit from a year and a half ago? That's a big, I know it's tall order, but, um, you know, what, what do you want us to remember from that series to give us context for this sermon for this. Yes. And, or uh, if for somebody who's maybe joined faith in the last year and a half and missed the sermon series, what do you want them to keep in mind that maybe you didn't get time to cover because you assumed right. prior knowledge? Yeah. Right. That's a good, yeah, it's a good question. So, okay. Um, this, so our current run through this passage, right? This was 14 verses. Um, starts out with that question about freedom. You have been called to freedom, right? So what are you going to use your freedom for? The Okay, I'm already getting, this is no longer a summary. I'm digging in, sorry. We tend to think of freedom as being free from external constraints, but the point of freedom and the way freedom was often thought of uh, before, you know, the last couple hundred years is that you become free in order to do something right? So uh, for example, a liberal education, like this, this, so, you know, the standard, Hey, I'm going to go get a liberal ed degree, right? Is a education designed to make you free to do many other things. Okay. So freedom is given to us in order for us to choose how we're going to limit our freedom in order to achieve other certain ends, right? Like, you know, a kite can't fly without a string. It's not free unless it's tethered to the ground. Right? It's not free to fly. It may be free from external constraints if you cut the string, but it's no longer free to do what it's designed to do, fly in the sky. Right? Sure. Okay, so freedom. So Paul's saying, hey, for freedom, you, you've been set free. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to serve the flesh and indulge the desires of the flesh, or are you going to live the life of the spirit in a community living the life of the spirit? That's the, those are the choices you get to make, one or the other. And, and there's going to be a conflict within the, the heart and the soul of anyone who is led by Jesus, who is led by the spirit, who has, you know, come to a a realization of who Jesus is as the faithful Messiah of Israel, resurrected again, the Lord of of the world uh, that we all bow and submit to and come to by faith. If you have done that, then you are led by the spirit. And so if you decide you're going to use your freedom to serve the flesh, there's going to be this stalemate within you of spirit and flesh, spirit and sin nature in conflict. Um, it's never going to feel, you're never going to feel resolved or like you're, you can't fully indulge one or fully serve the other. So this is the, the dichotomy Paul's setting up in this passage. And so there's a positive and a negative, right? And two years ago, we spent two years look or two, uh, two months, three months, 12 sermons looking at the positives. What are these fruit? How is fruit grown? Where does it come from? What does it mean to be people of love and joy and peace and all the rest? So I decided this year when we go through this, you know, since we're going through the whole book, let's look at this in context of what's going on in the church in Galatia and all the infighting there 
uh, and let's focus on the negative, right? How to destroy a church in 15 easy steps. So if you don't need any steps because it comes naturally, we're all, we could all do this uh, pretty easily without any yes. training. Yeah. So I did look back at some of the early sermons from that last series when, where we were setting up what is life in the spirit? What does it mean to grow the fruit of the spirit? And so I wanted to pull up one quote. This is from, I, I use this quote multiple times in that series. This is from a book called Practices of Love. Spiritual Disciplines for the Life of the World by Kyle Bennett. Great book. Um, and in this one, he says that life in the spirit, here's the quote, life in the spirit is about bringing all things human, our thoughts, attitudes, habits, practices, behavior, and lifestyle under the power and sway of God, just as Jesus did. It's about living in and with and for God, just as Jesus did. So life in the spirit is about fixing the itty bitty things of our lives so that they align with the rules and regulations and rhythms of God's kingdom, mm -hmm. just as Jesus did. It's about disciplining our daily deeds is the way he puts it. So uh, I guess you keep that in mind that the, the point of life in the spirit or the fruit of the spirit is not about adopting all new practices, new ways of, of living so much as it is taking all the things you already do eating and thinking and praying and talking and socializing and resting and working and spending money and, and owning things. You take all of that and bring it under the rule and the reign of Jesus, mm -hmm. doing things in the same way that Jesus did. So I think I answered both halves of your question. Yes. Yes. That's great. Okay, so sweet. thank you. Yes. Thank you for the series recap and for your Sunday where you're coming from on Sunday. Um, yeah. So it was, of course, a communion Sunday. So I'm sure you had to even cut probably more than you usually do. Um, is there anything that big that you had to cut that you would like to share? Well, I'd say yes and no. I mean, there's plenty that I could have talked about that I didn't, right? I, I mentioned Paul has four remedies for a church that's self-destructing, and I only looked at one of them. Um, because that one serves as the basis for the others. Um, what I didn't use that I would have if I'd had maybe a few more minutes. And then I, of course, we should all remember in second hour when I preached, I went, you know, five minutes long anyway. So it's like, I should have cut more. But um, on the sabbatical this last summer, since uh, we were exploring the life of a seventh century Benedictine monk, I was reading some stuff about the lifestyle that these monks would live. They lived under what was called the rule of a rule, just meaning a, you know, a regulation of life, uh, an ordered way of living uh, that was written by St. Benedict a couple hundred years before this guy, this guy lived. And, and of course there are monasteries that even still today follow the rule of St. Benedict. And it has a, had a huge and profoundly shaping effect on society in so many ways we don't have time to get into. Um, but I was reading a, a, a fairly new book. I think it was published in 21 or maybe late 20 by Rowan Williams. He was the former Archbishop of Canterbury. He teaches at uh, Maudlin College now in Oxford. And um, yeah, 2020, a book called The Way of St. Benedict. And in it, so a, a monk living under the rule of St. Benedict doesn't get to just leave if they don't like it. I mean, they can, and they have to be accepted back up to the third time that they return. But beyond that, you know, you're, you're taking a vow of stability, of staying in place. And Benedict believed that stability was the hardest spiritual discipline of them all, even more than any of the others, because to stand quietly at peace with the same people for years on end is the most difficult spiritual discipline of 
all of them all. It, you know, it's mm-hmm. the hardest thing in the world to do is to stay in one place at peace with those people. Um, so that was what the monk was then required to do, because if you're going to grow in spirituality, then you have, you can't be like, ah, oh, you know what? I really don't like the brothers at this monastery. I don't like the sisters at this convent. I'm going to go to the next one. You know, there's, there's another one 20 miles down the road. I'll just move on. Maybe it'll be better. Right. Yeah. So stability, stability is the gift you give to other people of unlimited time to grow together in Christ for a community where people have committed to being together, even if there's conflict and, and you know, you don't give yourself the option of leaving at the slightest thing. There's certain practices you have to put into place within that community in order for it to survive. Otherwise it will like that washing machine spin itself to pieces pretty quickly and easily. If any of those works of the flesh, especially the rivalries and dissensions and envies and all of those like little things that turn into just huge bonfires. Mm. If those are indulged, you know, it's going to, um, the community is going to self self-destruct. So in, uh, in Rowan Williams book about, uh, this particular part of it about stability, um, he, he says, he, he talks about the, what he calls the, uh, the currency of the community or the medium of exchange. In other words, what kind of um, language, I don't mean English or Spanish or whatever, but what sort of speech characterizes or typifies your community? And he talks about a, a time when a, a visiting priest uh, went to a, a university to visit the university's uh, like campus ministry. And on that university, he's, he's walking around trying to pick up, okay, what do people talk about? and how. And after a couple of days of just sort of listening in on conversations and hearing what the general tenor of conversation is at this university, he says, the majority of conversations, what did those people exchange with one another when they met? You'd be surprised. They exchanged grievances. So the currency of that university is grievance. So everybody, every time anybody's getting together, they're complaining, right? That's just the natural currency. What he goes on to call it, the, uh, the blood in the body of that university is the blood of grievance. Mm-hmm. So it's an illustration I didn't have time to use on, Saturday, or on Sunday and develop of what is the lifeblood of faith church and of the churches in Indianapolis. You know, is, is our lifeblood, is it competition? Is it fear? Is it a sense of being oppressed somehow? Is it triumphalism? Is it envy? Is it bitterness? You know, what, or is it peace or joy or all, you know, all the rest? And for each of us individually, the question is, when we come together, what do we put into circulation? You know, what do we individually put into the circulation of, you know, into the body? Um, at faith. And to be a, a peacemaker, someone who holds communities together, it involves, it's got to involve more than just um, refraining from doing anything wrong, but actually actively and proactively putting into the life of the body peace or joy or contentment or humility or any of the, the fruit of the spirit right? To hold a community together requires more than people just not misbehaving, but it requires a core of people who actively speak peace or faith or trust into the life of that community. And if enough people are doing that, then that begins to permeate the whole, you know, blood flow of, of the group. So 
I mean, you, you can probably think of, and anybody listening can probably think of friend groups or uh, small groups or workplaces where like the whole tenor, it doesn't matter when you go in, like everything becomes sarcastic or everybody's anxious or everybody. And you just know, even if you're not normally like sarcastic or anxious or bitter or whatever, when you go into that context, like that's what comes out of you because that's what's getting put in. And it takes a real work of the spirit and a work of, of choosing to say, you know what, I'm not going to take in anxiety and put back out anxiety. I'm going to take in anxiety and put back out peace mm-hmm. or joy. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I mean, that's a, that's sort of like the next step of, um, of if I'd had 10 more minutes, kind of what I would have developed in this, uh, in the sermon this last week. So if stability is like, is one of the maybe more difficult spiritual disciplines mm-hmm. um, and you've practiced stability by being at faith church for like in your role, Joey, as a pastor at faith church um, mm-hmm. for 14 years, 15 years, 11, 11. Oh, yeah. okay. Sorry. But I'll still, take the extra 11. years, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, what what do you think has come out of that stability? Because um, I know there have been plenty of opportunities that you could have changed the course of where you work and what you're doing, and um, you've chosen to stay at Faith Church. So what are the blessings that have come out of practicing, practicing stability for you and for your family? Uh Man, that's a great question. I'd say there are at least two realms of of blessing or benefit that we've seen. You know, one is is physical, practical, social. The other more on the spiritual side. Um, physical, practical, social. Um, the longer you're in a place, the more you know about the people. The more the more um, connected to people you are socially. You know, we had a, a go time event a couple of months ago. And I remember sitting and, and seeing, you know, 150 people wandering around and thinking, I, I know stories of just about everyone here, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the rootedness, the depth of, of that connection uh, is much more profound than if you're flitting from place to place every two or three years, right? right. You just, you don't get to know people's stories if you keep moving. Mm-hmm. Um, you become a, a tourist in other people's lives instead of a resident. Yeah. Um, so there, there's that, of course, on the the real pragmatic side, you know, if your ministry influence doubles every year, you're in a place, then the longer you're there, the more, you know, the more trusted you are as a leader, the more um, ability you have to lead in specific directions and you know, some of that stuff. Um, obviously, if somebody comes in brand new and asks you to do something difficult, you're like, eh, really? But if it's somebody you've walked with for 10 years, then the conversation goes a little differently. So there's that side. Yeah. The other side of it is... Um, on the on the spiritual side, we've Jenna and I, especially more more than you know our daughter, of course, um, have had to reckon with okay, if stability is greater than opportunity, because in mo- most cases when we're looking at opportunities, we're thinking we're thinking temporally, we're thinking this worldly. You know, I have the opportunity to do this, I have the opportunity to, to do that, to rise in this area or grow in that direction. Those are all great things. Um, but if the most important thing about us is our discipleship to Jesus or our, our apprenticeship to Jesus, um, then 
stability may be the best choice you can make to grow into the life of Jesus. Whereas taking uh, material opportunities to, you know, to advance your career, move to a different place or avoid conflict by going to a different church or whatever, those material opportunities may grow an area of your life, but not the most important area of your life. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, we've had to come to that, but then there's also um, huge benefit in knowing like, if you know you're committed to a place and you don't intend to use that place to leverage the next thing you want to do, then suddenly the work you do there is about working for and with the people there. You're not, you're no longer working for yourself in the sense that you are like, Hey, if I were, you know, using my ministry at faith in order to get the next job, right. Then everything I do here is marketing myself to somebody in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything I do here is positioning myself to be looked at positively by somebody outside of this community in order to, you know, hire me for the next thing. Right. And in it, I would say, I don't want to say everything reduces down to the motive of how can I use the people here to serve myself, but it becomes sort of the background hum of, of that. I mean, you remember when you were in high school and everybody said, you need to do this thing because it'll look great on a college application. You need to do this thing because it'll look great on a college application. You need to go serve to college, these. And yeah. And they tell you, again for do this. Yeah. For, exactly. And especially if it's service, then what you're really telling people is like, hey, if you're going to go serve in this ministry downtown, remember, you're not serving them, you're serving yourself. You're using them to serve yourself and serve your future self. And so when, when you've committed to a place, you become free to actually live in and serve those people instead of using those people and those opportunities as a way to market yourself to someone in the future. Mm-hmm. So your, you, even your very like vision of what you're looking at becomes centered in where you are, when you are, instead of who you want to be at some point when you're somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And so, stability becomes the means by which you get to grow deeply in the fruit of the spirit. Uh, yeah, a, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and especially in a community context, because when you haven't giving yourself the option to just leave when things get difficult. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between difficult and destructive, right? Mm -hmm. If you're in relationships or churches or institutions that are destructive, you need to leave. If it's just difficult because there are difficult people everywhere, right? And you haven't given yourself permission to leave, then you have obligated yourself to work through conflict, to work through issues in order to come back to a sense of of peace with one another as much as you're able to live at peace with all men you know paul says uh which isn't just limited to men all people (laughs) right Mm -hmm. so if you another way that jen and i will put it is hey if you know in we've been here 11 years in 39 years we want to be able to say we have had friends for 50 years Mm -hmm. from faith and that means we keep having the conversations and we keep coming back to the friendships and when we when, when things go sideways, we work together to bring it back straight again, mm-hmm. no matter how difficult it is. Because mm-hmm. if you keep cycling out new friends every three years, you're never going to have 50-year friends. Mm-hmm. And yep. not only will you not get to see what God has done in someone's life for 50 years, but you've also you know, cut off the real deep forming that happens when you give to one another the gift of unlimited time to grow together in Christ. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Cut for Time. If you wish to submit questions to our pastors following their sermon, you can email them to podcast at faithliveitout.org 
or text them into our Faith Church texting number, and we'll do our best to cover it in the week's episode. If this conversation blessed you in any way, we encourage you to share it with others. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week.